not built for adding, you know, let me put on extra layers of clothes, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Um, so if Jesus were to come back today, would he find you faithful or faithless? That is the question that we have to ask ourselves every single day. If he were to come back today, would he find us faithful or is it going to be faithless? The question is not when Jesus will return, but what will we do before he returns? Because here's the thing, he's coming back. One day he's going to return. And it could be today. It could be tomorrow. And, and well, what, what's got to happen in order for him to return? And does this event have to take place? And this and that and this. That. Here's the thing. You better be ready. Because no matter what millennial view you hold, no matter what you believe about the tribulation, guess what? He's returning. He's coming back and we better be ready. And we better be prepared. And here's the thing. Not only do we need to be prepared, but here's the real question. Are we preparing those that are around us? Your friends, your family, one day will have to stand before judgment. And are they going to look and say, why didn't you tell me? Well, why am I missing out because you didn't share? Please make sure that you are sharing the gospel with those that you come in contact with. We're going to be in Mark chapter 13. And so that's where we're really going to dig into. And as we come to Mark chapter 13, it's actually going to be the longest sermon um, recorded in the gospel of Mark. In this passage, Jesus preaches about the end times and what that looks like. Now I'm going to tell you that this makes me smile because last week we had a really good attendance for Jared as he preached about the widow's might and we established that, that Jesus celebrates uh, the, the sacrifice of the giver, not the size of the gift, but the giver. And that's so important. And I didn't advertise it was going to be about the end times. I'm sure that we could have probably doubled or tripled our attendance if I had to put it out. And if I would have said that Jared was going to talk about sacrificial giving, then we'd have had half the people, right? Not our church, because our church is an awesome giving church. I, I want to tell you that. I have been so just elated to see what has been coming in every single week. That, that you are giving faithfully to the Lord, and it means so, so much. There were two pastors that were standing beside the road, and, and they each held up a sign that read, The end is near. Turn around before it's too late. The first driver, as he, he went by of the pastors holding up the sign, he says, you guys are just a bunch of religious nuts. <clears throat> Another guy drove by and said, leave us alone. From around the curve, they heard screeching tires and a big splash. One pastor looked at the other one and said, you think we should change our sign to just say the bridge is closed? <laughs> you know, when we think about end times, I want to joke about it because it, it's a difficult topic and there's so many different views when it comes to it. But, and I believe that there are two extreme views that we must avoid when talking about the end times. The first one is, is not to over-sensationalize it. For some, the tendency is to obsess about biblical prophecy and we try to take every single thing that happens in the news headlines and we want to attribute that to the end times. Because we've already had seven named hurricanes or tropical depressions already. We have Ida that, that is about to hit or has started to hit New Orleans. And everybody immediately wants to go, oh, here it comes. It's the end times. We've had earthquakes. It's the end times. And everybody gets all caught up in it. And, and they try to find out every little detail and make it fit. Who's the Antichrist? 
Do you realize that every leader of the known world has been the Antichrist for the last thousand years, two thousand years? Every single one has been the Antichrist. People said it two years ago, three, four years ago. They're saying it about now. They're going to say it about the next one. They say, oh, Saddam Hussein is trying to rebuild Babylon, and he has found the, the, the temple of, uh, or the, the, the foundation of Babel, and he's going to rebuild the temple. He has to be the Antichrist. Do, do, do you know where Saddam is? He's not the Antichrist. But we're constantly looking for signs. And here's the thing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, we read this. Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Here's the thing. In Thessalonica, many of them had stopped working. They, they, they just quit working because they said, I don't need to work anymore because all the signs are showing that the Lord's going to return. Well, they sens sensationalized everything. We have to be careful of that. The other one is trivializing everything. There's a lot of people that just don't think about the return of Christ at all. Now, I joke about it and I say, hey, guess what? Um, I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out in the end. Like, that's how I truly believe, and you can take all of these views, and I look at all of them, and seriously, I look at them, and I try to understand them, and, and, and I joke about it, but here's the thing, the Lord is returning, and I'm going to be prepared, and I'm going to, I want to prepare as many of you around me as I possibly can as we move forward, and so we have to be careful that we don't just trivialize everything. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4 says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And many times we kind of get into that mindset, right? Well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime, so it's okay that I don't really get out there and spread the word. No, we still need to take a hard look at it and be prepared for his coming. Here's some additional um, points that I want to drive home. The first one, I will tell you, I feel a bit intimidated in preaching prophecy from this table. Because when we talk about prophecy and we talk about what is to come, um, I, I had my, my mentor, um, uh, Mr. John Wilson, he, he never preached on the book of Revelation. He said, if I can't understand it, then how am I supposed to teach it to others? As a man of God who preached the word for 65 years, and he says, that's one book that I just don't preach on. And, and, and I'll tell you, I feel the same exact way. I'm intimidated when I try to understand these scriptures and what they mean, and then try to share them with you. But here's the thing, we still need to push through, right? And that's what we're doing here this morning. Number two, some of you are like, oh, we're preaching all the way through um, Mark chapter 13 this morning. Wow, we're going to be here. We're, we're not beating the lunch crowd. <clears throat> I'm still going to get you out here mainly on time. But we're only going to look at the very beginning of this chapter. Okay, this is not going to be an all-inclusive study through Mark chapter 13. This is just our next stop as we go through chapter 13. Number three, th this chapter is challenging to interpret. 
because it's talking about so many different things, some ha that have already happened, some things that are about to happen, some things that are going to happen still in the future, and, and we try to bring all of that in. Alistair Begg says, <clears throat> the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And that's what I really want us to focus in on. Um, and, and here's the thing, again, it's a mixture of events. As you read through, he's, Jesus is going to jump from section to section as he goes through this, uh, uh, this section of Scripture. And then number five, remember that Mark wrote his gospel to persecuted believers in Rome. These words from Jesus are particularly encouraging to those that are being persecuted. And so as we read them, as persecution does come upon Christians, we read these and we take them to heart. And that's what we've been called to do. Number six, we don't know for sure when Jesus is coming back, but we're certain that he is. That's what we know. And number seven, the aim of prophecy is always practical. We want to know the when and the what, right? Like, we want to know when he's coming. Hey, Jesus, can, can you... Can you kind of give me a little bit of insight? I mean, I see Jesus working constantly, and there's times that I just go, hey, um, Jesus, could you tell your Holy Spirit to give me some insight about what you're to do? Because it would really help me right now, okay? Because um, if you could have let me know 18 months ago that this all was going to happen, maybe I could have planned better. But here's the thing, God knew it all the time, right? He was in charge, right? Yeah. And that's what we always have to remember. Jesus focuses on the who. Jesus focuses on the how when we consider his return. You see, Jesus is preparing us to proclaim the gospel during persecution. We have to be prepared. Because if we're not prepared, we could fall away. And others may not hear the gospel. So we must be prepared because persecution could come at any day. And here's the thing persecutions happening all around the world right now we see it we hear about it and we need to be prepared to spread it the gospel message wherever we go so to show how practical prophecy is we're going to actually find 18 imperatives or 18 commands just in mark chapter 13 alone so i encourage you <clears throat> to read all the way through mark chapter 13 and you're going to find 18 different commands written here for our purposes though we're not going to go through all the 18 okay we're going to focus in on the dangers to avoid and four duties to embrace so let's start with the dangers to avoid when we come to a a, a section of scripture like this let's start out with the dangers to avoid number one don't rely just on outward symbols don't rely just on outward symbols the first part of Mark chapter 13, verse 1 says this, and as he came out of the temple, stop. So Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching inside, and, and all of those around him, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they have all come at him, and they have questioned him hard and long, and they failed. And no one, remember what we read, no one dared ask him a question again, right? That, that, that's what we see happening as he he goes after as they come after him they all tried to trip jesus up yet they couldn't so as they came out of the temple now they're they're walking out of the temple they're going to head back 
um, across to Bethany. As, as, they're, as they're heading back across their journey, they have to go down into the valley, and they're going to come back up on the other side of the valley, of the Kidron Valley, and they're going to be on the Mount of Olives. Okay, and that's what we read. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, we don't know who this anonymous disciple is, but as they come out, and and here's the thing. If you've never been to Jerusalem today, um, you go to Jerusalem, it is spectacular to see the Temple Mount. It is spectacular to see the wall that is there and and just to be up and to walk on top of the temple it's spectacular today and here's the thing the temple's not even there anymore it's gone it's destroyed but it was absolutely beautiful the first temple was built by by solomon it would have cost in today's terms it would have cost millions and millions of dollars to build it took seven years to build the original one and then it was decimated by the babylonians 50 years, <clears throat> seven, I'm sorry, 70 years, the, the Israelites are going to come back into Jerusalem. They're going to build a second temple. It's not going to be nearly as impressive as that of what Solomon has built, but they're going to have another one. And they're going to have this for some 500 years. But when King Herod came to power, he wanted to impress the Jews. And here's the thing, <clears throat> if you ever look at some of the things that, um, that, that King Herod built, they're spectacular. They are beautiful. Um, he, he built this amazing temple or this amazing complex at Masada. He had another one on the, the sea, uh, the, the Mediterranean Sea in Philippi, uh, Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. He's going to also build this temple mount. It took 46 years to build this. Absolutely amazing. It stood some 20 stories high when it was completed. Many of the stones that were there, two to five tons for these stones. Some of the larger stones at the base are bigger than those that were used in the pyramids. 400 tons for some of these stones. And and they still don't know for sure how it was built, but it was absolutely spectacular. And they were cut with such precision that paper, you couldn't even slide a piece of paper between them. Absolutely beautiful. So when this disciple, when he saw this, it was overlaid with gold as well. So the disciple walks out, the disciples are walking out with Jesus, and one of them says, hey, look. Look at all these beautiful buildings. I mean, this, this is amazing. This is beautiful to be able to see all of this here. Now, Jesus' response in in verse 2 must have stunned all of the disciples. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great, these megas, these, these huge buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, the word here for see is to look with perception. I want you to look deeply. I want your eye to take in how beautiful these buildings are. Because here's the thing, one day they're not going to be here any longer. They're going to be gone. It reminds me of what we read in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 8 through 9. It says, And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then 
they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. All of this was fulfilled in in 70 AD. Rome is going to come in and absolutely destroy the city. Rome is going to come in and absolutely wipe out the city. They're going to burn all of the, they want the pure gold. And so they're just going to set the buildings on fire to burn the the gold off. And in doing so, all the stones just crumbled. And they were not left there any longer. Why would God allow this temple to be destroyed? I, I, I can think of two reasons. I'm glad you asked. Jesus is now where we meet God. We don't have to have a high priest because he is our high priest. We don't have to have someone with access for us. He is our access. Jesus is our access. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, Jesus declared, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He was pointing to himself. And that helps us to understand what Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 16 destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rise it up. He wasn't talking about himself, or he wasn't talking about the buildings. He was talking about himself in that moment. Jesus is now who we need to go to. We don't need a temple. And number two, there's no longer a need for sacrifices. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the, sac- the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So these priests were never allowed to sit down. When they were on duty, they had to stand constantly. And they had to constantly give sacrifices over and over and over again, the same exact ones. And it never covered sin. It just kind of rolled them back. But in this moment, Jesus is able to sit down at the right hand. Why? Because he was the sacrifice once for all. And that's what we hold on to. I like what Warren Wearsby says about the temple. He says, the Jewish leaders had defiled it. Jesus departs from it. And the Romans would destroy it. When Jesus walked out of the temple that day, he would never come back to it again. This was the end the this was the end of his last week upon the earth. Now before we move on, I, I want us uh, I want to see I want us to see something from the first part of verse three. And he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. As Jesus walks uh, down from the temple, he left, he went down into the Kidder Valley, he comes back up on the other side, he sits there. And he gets a panoramic view of the entire city. I also think it's interesting that Jesus stops here on the Mount of Olives because the Mount of Olives has a lot of uh, symbology for us, okay? Uh, We're told, we know that this is the same exact spot or on the Mount of Olives, somewhere along the Mount of Olives, Jesus is going to go up into heaven after his resurrection. It's where we're told that he will make his eventual return as well but they have this beautiful view to see everything so the first thing that we need to see is that we are not to rely just on outward symbols the second thing is don't get caught up in date setting 
We love to set dates, right? We said, oh, it's going to be, um, so he was born in, 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 um, in B.C. 4. So in 1996, that's when Jesus is going to return. I'll tell you, I did not want Jesus to return in 1996. Because that was the time that I graduated, okay? Like, no, I want to graduate first, Jesus, then you can return. Okay? And then it was, oh, oh, it, it's going to be the year 2000. Because Y2K, right? Yeah, we're still here. And there's been many that have tried to prophesy the return of Christ. And guess what? They've all been wrong. Why? Because if you read the end of Mark chapter 13, it says the day and the hour are unknown. So quit trying to date set. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Verses 3 and 4. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. I love this. Andrew's kind of taking a back seat, right? Because Peter is the older brother. Peter's kind of going to be the one that's taking charge. But, but Andrew is included in this conversation. I think that's interesting for us to always remember. Because if it wasn't for Andrew, Peter never would have come to know Jesus. It was Andrew, if we go back to the beginning of John, it was Andrew that heard Jesus, went and grabbed his brother and said, Hey, hey come, come and see. You've got to come and hear what, what this guy is saying. You've got to come meet Jesus. For any of you that are scared about sharing the gospel, sometimes you just have to say these words that Andrew took to Peter. Hey, come and meet Jesus. Hey, hey, come and see. Sometimes that's all you have to say. Oh, but I'm scared because they may ask me about prophecy. That's okay. Come and see. Our pastor will set you straight and says he doesn't even know either. Here's the thing. We study it. We try to understand it. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now when we read this, again, they basically have two questions. When and what? It's the same thing that we asked 2,000 years later. Notice that Jesus doesn't give them what they want. He gives them what they need. And it's the same things that we need today. And that's what I really want us to focus in on. So don't get caught up in date setting. Number three, don't be led astray. It's fascinating to me that Jesus, again, doesn't answer their question. But look at verses five and six. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. The word see means to watch, to take heed, heed, to keep your eyes on the prize. He's urging them to be on guard. There's going to be spiritual imposters, but we need to make sure that we are always on guard. There will be many messiahs that will come, that will try to lead you astray. But here's the thing, you will know when I return. And he makes that very clear for us. And then number four, don't be alarmed. Jesus knows that all of this is going to make us anxious. I don't know about you, but I still get caught up with some of this, and there's times that I still go, when is this going to happen? And how is this going to happen? And, and how am I going to be prepared? And what's going to happen? We get anxious when it comes to this. So he gives one final danger to avoid. Look at verses 7 through 8. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, 
but the end is not yet. I, I, I love that. We hear of those today still, right? We hear of, of wars and rumors of wars and attacks that could happen and, and, and many are fearful of what could happen and, and we're bringing all of these Afghani refugees in and what happens if the Taliban has infiltrated in and what happens if this happens and what happens if this happens and oh, I, I'm so anxious and I'm so worried. Here's the thing, if you know Jesus, you know where you're going. Hold to that, please. And I know that we have many different political views that I'm not trying to get into that. But what I want you to hold on to is the fact that we, we have been called to spread the gospel and, and we're headed in that direction. And there's wars and there's rumors of wars, but the end is not here yet. For nation will rise against nation. Do we hear of that? Absolutely. And kingdom against kingdom, we hear about that. There will be earthquakes in various places. We hear about those all the time. There will be famines. There will, uh, these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. All of these things are going to be taking place. But don't be alarmed. Don't get so worried and so caught up in all of these things that we miss the gospel that's right in front of us. Again, so many times we get caught up in the book of Genesis and well, is it is it a literal 24 hours? Is it a period of time? And is is the is the earth 10,000 or 12,000 years old? Is it a billion years old? Is it 4 billion years old? And then we go to the very end. We go to we go to Mark chapter 13 and and we go to Matthew 24 and 25 and, and we go to Revelation and, and we want to look at all of these different things and we want to focus on on the bookends. But we forget Jesus in the middle. And Jesus is what brings saving grace. Not that we shouldn't worry about those things. So please, you're, my goodness, I, I'm, I'm just trying to make everybody mad this morning, okay? <clears throat> Jesus. Jesus is our focus. And that's what we always have to remember. The word alarmed refers to being in turmoil. Jesus doesn't want us to be disconcerted. He doesn't want us to be divided from our task. And our task is to share the gospel first and foremost, to share the message of Jesus Christ crucified with all of those that we come in contact with. Yes, nation's going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be all kinds of natural disasters, but the end is not here yet. So that means we still have time. Always, always remember that. And I love at the very end of verse 8, he starts talking about women and birth pains. I had a front row seat for two of those. Um, the first one wasn't too bad because Teresa was induced and, um, you know, and, and both of hers were so fast, so easy. But with Jaden, I've, I've got to share this one with you. Um, so I'm sitting on the couch and uh, she goes to bed. It's, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night and I'm still watching TV. I'm watching Sports Center, and she says, I'm going to bed. And so she, as far as I know, she's in bed asleep. The next thing I know, she comes walking out completely dressed like what are you doing she says well i i, I went ahead and I, I showered and i shaved and and i got dressed because i think we might be headed to the hospital i said excuse me she was not due for another three weeks i said um excuse me and she goes i i think we might be headed to the hospital i said okay how far apart are your contractions well i don't know i haven't timed them they were three minutes apart 
<laughs> let's go. Um, so I, I wake Justin up. I put him in his car seat. We head to the church, and, and uh, you know, we weren't even at the hospital 30 minutes, and hey, Jaden's here. Um, but if you've been a part, and I know some of you ladies, you're, you know, like, I can't believe Teresa had that lucky. Um, for some of you, you were in labor for like 18 hours or 24 hours or even longer, and I know it was birth pains were horrible, and they were difficult, and, 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 I, and I couldn't imagine and that's what Jesus gets through right here. The beginning, though, of the birth pains. He wants us to be forewarned. He wants us to know what is to happen. So these are the dangers, first of all, to avoid. Now we have the duties to embrace. The duties to embrace. The first one is hardship is coming. Hardship is coming. And for some of you, whether you believe in the rapture or not, and some of you say, I want to believe in the rapture because that means we're not going to have to go through any of the hard stuff at the end. If you believe in the rapture, you're, you're wrong when it comes to pains at the end because um, it's coming whether you believe in it or not. We're going to go through hard times. Okay, I'm not going to tell you my views, not this morning, because I've already made you mad enough. Okay, verse 9. But be on guard, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. When he says to be on your guard, it is emphatic and can be translated, you must be on guard. Jesus is personalizing this persecution. He uses the word you that pronoun you 10 times in verses 9 through 13. It is being delivered over to councils. It means you're going to be handed over to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees. Before kings, you're going to have to stand before those that are in major power. You're going to stand before local and national and even international people. And here's the thing. This was written first to those disciples and, and we're going to find that that persecution does come to those disciples and when he says he, he says that you will be my witness it means that you will be martyrs you will die for your faith he wanted to make sure that those first disciples knew that their life will be demanded of them and it very well could happen to us today this prophecy began to be fulfilled in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is condemned to death by the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 12, James and Peter are arrested by King Herod and James is beheaded. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are imprisoned in, in Philippi. In Acts 24, Paul is tried before uh, a governor named Felix. And in Acts chapter 26, he is on trial before Felix and King Agrippa. In Acts 27 and 28, he is sent by ship and is to stand trial before Caesar and then remains a prisoner of, in Rome until he is executed. Jesus is saying, you will become martyrs. Your life may be demanded of you, so be prepared. If you want to learn more about persecution and even how it happens today, 
I encourage you to check out Voice of the Martyrs. I have some of uh, the books. I have one of the Voice of Martyr books. Um, I have the DC Talk books that talk about the martyrs and what has happened over, over the centuries, over the years. Um, they say on average 100,000 Christians are martyred every single year. 100,000 Christians are put to death every single year because of their faith. This is Jesus' words even today. We need to understand that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. In 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So plain and simply, hardships, they're coming. And we need to be ready for them. Number two, we will receive, oh, wait a minute, jumped a point here, sorry, herald the gospel. We have been called to preach the gospel, to spread the gospel. Look at verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. The word must has a sense of urgency that it is our duty to be sharing the message. Now, we can say, yes, the gospel is gone out to all people, and it is spread all over the world. But here, when we read this, when he says it must be proclaimed to all nations, it means people groups. Do you know that approximately there are 7,000 people groups who have never been reached with the gospel? We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. And it's up to us to herald and to spread the gospel message. We need more missionaries saying, I'm willing to fill the message to spread the word and to go out and to share with everyone that we come in contact with right here and around the world. I, I'm, I'm going to share with you that it, it is gravely concerning to me that there are less and less of our young people that are willing to go into full-time ministry. Um, as many of you know, I went to Cincinnati Bible College. I did not go to Cincinnati Christian University. I went to the Bible College and Seminary. Um, but Cincinnati Bible College, Cincinnati... Um, Christian University closed its doors several years ago. The first thing they did was cut back staff because there weren't enough people in the preaching and youth ministry and, and, and music ministry programs, so they cut back the ministry gravely. And then after cutting back those areas, um, they could no longer sustain, and, and so they had to close their doors completely. And last year the buildings were completely sold off. It saddens me greatly that we see more of our Christian schools that are closing their doors. That we have young people that are choosing not to go into the ministry. And we need more of our, our young people saying that they're willing to step up and to go into the ministry. And I'm proud to tell you that we've already sent out a couple um, in the past couple of years. And we have three who are part of our youth group right now who have said, we're going to head into the ministry. And I'm excited because I see what God is doing in their lives. And I know a, a couple more that are taking college visits to another Christian college. And it excites me that we have young people who are willing to step up and to heed the call 
to look into those full-time ministries. And, and we need to share the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that every single one of us are called to go into the mission field. That's okay. But we're still called to support those missionaries. We're still called to be there for them. And we need to herald the gospel. Whether you're in full-time ministry or not, it's on all of us. It's not Pastor Travis's job. It's not Jared's job. It's not just Justin's job. It's not just Christy's job. It's not just the elder's job. It's all of our jobs to herald the message and to share it with everyone that we come in contact with. And we need to continue to pray that we will do so. Number three, we need and we have help from the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminds us that we're not alone when we're persecuted. Look at verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. During suffering, we have something to say and someone to help us to say it. And I love that. We see this again fulfilled in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, when Peter was forced in front of the hostile religious leaders then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, it wasn't just himself, but he had the Spirit with him. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 10, we read that <clears throat> what was said about Stephen right before they stoned him to death. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit that which he was speaking. No one can stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to speak through you today. And then the last part here, we will have hatred from those that are close. I read this scripture and it saddens me oh so much. Jesus promises even more persecution in verses 12 through 13. This time it's very personal. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and his children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know what Jesus is saying? We will be hated by all. And it will come from very personal attacks. Those that are closest to to us may even turn us over but it doesn't stop us and it should never stop us from spreading the gospel it is on us to share the gospel of jesus christ we have been called to stand firm to stand strong and, and as you read through the rest of, of this chapter you're going to read about the coming of the son of man you're going to read about the the coming destruction of Jerusalem and you're going to read that he is coming back and that we will see many things coming persecution is terrible none of us want to go through persecution however unfaithfulness is far worse because it separates us for all of eternity. Romans 14.4 says, And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You're not alone. 
you have brothers and sisters in Christ that stand beside you. You're not alone because the Holy Spirit is alive inside of you and Jesus will hold you up. Please never forget that. Hold firm your beliefs in who Jesus is, even in the midst of hard trials. Hardships will come. Let's embrace our duties as Christians to spread the gospel message. Hardships are coming, but we can stand firm. Let's wrap it all up right now. I've got a few quick action steps for you. Number one, live out your faith. Live it out daily. Share the gospel message. 1 John 3 says, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone, every, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Live out your faith every single day. Number two, rearrange your priorities. When Jesus comes back, you don't want to be found being lazy. Well, um, Jesus, I was going to start tomorrow. We say that about so many things, don't we? I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. I'm going to start working out tomorrow. I'm going to start living right tomorrow. I'm going to start all of this. When it comes to sharing the gospel, don't wait. If you're nursing a grudge, if you're holding on to something against a brother or sister in Christ, let it go, please. You don't want him to return if you have friction of unforgiveness that is tearing you apart, that is destroying your marriage, that is destroying the relationship with your children. Allow him to fix it. Rearrange your priorities. Number three, tell lost people about the Lord. We go to Acts chapter 1, verse 7. It says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and this is what he says. It's not up for you to know. Here's the thing. This is what I want you to do. This is the great commission that, that Luke records for us in Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, dunamis, dynamite, power. You will receive power when he returns, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Instead of wondering, we should be worshiping. Instead of wondering, we should be witnessing. That's what we've been called to do. Last point. Repent and receive. Repent and receive. If you are here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is that day. You can repent right now. You can receive His forgiveness right now. What's He call you to do? He calls you to believe upon His name. He calls you to ask for forgiveness. He calls you to repent. He calls you to be baptized and he calls you to live a life of faith. That's what he calls you to do. And today can be that day that you choose to do so. 
as we prepare for communion, as we prepare to um, close out this service, I don't know any other way to say this to you than just to say it as bluntly as I possibly can. Whether you're alive when Jesus returns or not, every single one of you have an appointment with him. Every single one of us, including myself, will stand before him in judgment. And there's only two ways. He will either look at you and say, welcome, my good and faithful servant, come, enter in. Or he will say, depart from me, for I knew you not. It's up to us of what we will choose to decide to do. If you haven't received your communion yet, it's on the back tables and on the sides. And I'm going to pray for us. And I encourage you to, to get up and get that when you're ready. And we're going to sing two more songs. And as we, as we sing, if you just need to sit there and, and just be there with the Lord, you can do that. If you need someone to talk to about prayer in your life, if, if you need uh, someone just to listen to, I'm going to be in the back. The elders are going to be back. We would love to be there for you. Youth, if you, are, if, if you are just listening to the message, you need someone to talk to, Jared and Hannah are back there. Pull them aside. Talk to them afterwards. My phone is always on. I encourage you to call if you need someone to talk to, to email me. We can set up a time to meet, to talk. To share but whatever decision you have to make will you make it this morning as we finish with prayer let's pray almighty father i thank you so much for the gift of your son i thank you for the way in which you have offered the ultimate sacrifice for us lord there's no reason for a temple any longer there, there's no reason to offer any more sacrifices because you are the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for your son. Father, so much of this we get caught up in of, of what the end times looks like. And while we need to focus on it, the ultimate focus is to make sure that it puts an emphasis on us to get out there that, that we are immediate, that we are intentional, that we share the message every single day. Because what we know is you are returning and we want to be found faithful. And Lord, that as many people that we can share the message with, that they can be found faithful as well. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We take communion this morning. Remember remembering the ultimate sacrifice we take the bread remembering that you were human that your blood that you are fully god as well that that is our ultimate sacrifice thank you and lord if there's someone who make, needs to make a decision that they will make that that they will come and they will they will seek out the guidance and help as they move forward in that we pray all of this in your son's most holy and precious name amen